Good morning, Grace Point. How are you this morning? Good. I'm so grateful that you're here. My name is Jim Walden. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Grace Point, and I am a father and a grandfather. Any dads or grandfathers out there? Love it. Any of you like dad jokes? I caught my grandson chewing on an electrical cord, so I had to ground him. But currently, he's conducting himself very well. I am so wired to be here. I know, don't quit my day job, right? I was so thrilled when Pastor Tim asked me if I could fill it in for him today, and I'm glad that you're here. Would you grab your Bible or your tablet or device and turn with me to two places? First, find Daniel chapter 4. We're in our fourth week of the series of Shining in Babylon, and this is chapter four with Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, but also be ready to flip back to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, we'll get there in just a little bit. When Pastor Tim, early on in this series, talked about Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, he talked about crazy dreams, and and he talked about the fear of dreaming that he's up here preaching in his underwear. And one time I had a dream that I was preaching and I woke up and realized I was. That was a nightmare. I hope I don't put you to sleep today, but we're gonna go to Daniel chapter four and talk about Nebuchadnezzar's second dreams. Now, dreams are just weird, aren't they? Do you know over 98 times the Bible mentions dreams or dreaming? And there's a lot of famous dreamers we hear about from Jacob to Abraham, Joseph with the coat of many colors, he had two dreams. Pharaoh had dreams, so did his cupbearer and baker. Gideon heard the dreams of the enemies. Um, God spoke to Solomon in a dream. When you come to the New Testament, Joseph, who's engaged to Mary, by the way, can you believe we're only 13 weeks from Christmas? How about that one? Joseph, it records he has four dreams. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate, the governor, his wife came out and said, I've suffered a great deal in a dream because of that man. And later on in Daniel, Daniel dreams about four beasts. But today we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare. Now, I don't know what your nightmares entail, but Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare was about a tree. And that's kind of weird. Doesn't seem to me to be anything terrified about, does it? Well, let's take a look at it. Daniel chapter 4, the first 18 verses are going to be on the screen, uh, but read uh, with me in your Bible, because once we get past 18, I'll just ask you to look in your Bible alone. Um, Now, here's what I want to do, a little outline as we progress. I want to share several questions, and the first question is, how did you sleep last night? Did you have some nightmares? Well, we'll talk about that later. I want to share five life principles with you. You might want to jot these down, and my guess is these will not be new to you. But you'll kind of see how we're going through, and just about done, we get through all five life principles. But I also lastly want to show you a very important pattern of how the Lord deals with us at certain times in our life. Here we go, Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, just like we kind of sang, right? What an awesome God. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. 
As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Here's his nightmare, verse 6. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. Look at this. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Watch for repetition all through the story. Here's the first one. The spirit of the holy gods is in him. Verse nine, I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know, here it is, that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. No mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches and from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. And then he heard this voice, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind, that's literally his heart, be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind or the heart of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declared the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because, here it is the third time, the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Imagine with me, you're Daniel. You're standing there and you hear this nightmare about a tree. What would you be tempted to say? I think I would say something like, okay, that's just weird, bro. Did you eat too much pizza before you went to bed? But no. Look at verse 19 now in your Bible. Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time. Some translations say for one hour. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning terrify you. And Belteshazzar, Daniel answered the king, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And now Daniel's gonna say, I got bad news and worse news. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nested places in the branches, you, verse 22, are that tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. And then Daniel, 
with repetition, goes on and talks about the tree being told to be cut down, the branches trimmed off, the leaves scattered, and the fruit removed, and then let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. So Daniel repeats the dream, even though Nebuchadnezzar had told him the dream. A lot of repetition going on. Now, why is this happening? Well, when we write something, maybe it's a letter to a friend or whatever, and we want to emphasize something in the writing, what do we do? We'll use bold print or we'll print in all capitals or put it in italics or underline it. But in Hebrew, when a writer or communicator wants to emphasize something, he would use repetition. As you read through the Bible, you often see this. You may remember a story when Abraham was going to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice and he raised the knife to slay his son. God stopped him by saying, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Or when God said to Jacob, Jacob, in the New Testament, when Martha was so ticked off at her sister Mary, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, don't miss this. He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Jesus often said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, in the Greek and Hebrew, it's amen and amen. And Daniel uses repetition because he says, you don't want to miss this. And here's life principle number one. The Lord never wants anyone to miss what he says. God never wants anyone to miss what he says. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So when Daniel has Nebuchadnezzar's attention and he's interpreted the dream, he goes on with a recommendation. He says, this is going to happen to you. You're going to become like a wild animal. You're going to eat grass like an ox. And this will happen for seven times until you acknowledge that heaven rules. End of story. That'd be kind of bad news, wouldn't it? What happens next? Well, Daniel continues to speak. Look at this. He offers grace and a recommendation. Now, the king hadn't asked for this, but look at verse 27. Daniel says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. That means in the Hebrew, tear away or break off your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Then it may be that your prosperity will continue because this is going to happen. I don't know about you, but he probably doesn't want to hear the phrase right now, may all your dreams come true, right? Now think with me. You're standing there with Daniel, and after God's word was declared in a dream and proclaimed by a prophet, what was Nebuchadnezzar's immediate response? We, we don't really know, because if we're standing and watching this as if it's a movie, there'd be a slow fade to black at this moment, and then as it fades up, you'd be looking at a rooftop and the caption on the bottom would read, one year later. One year later. Twelve months pass when God spoke to him. But supposedly nothing had happened. Hey, here's another question for you. What did the Lord say to you 12 months ago? You may say, I can't remember what I had for lunch last Tuesday. What do you mean, a year ago, I went back and researched what series this church was doing, and it was Moral Mayhem. A year ago, Pastor Tim was preaching on Samson. What has God said to you in the last year? What's God said to me? When he spoke to you, wasn't there a time that you were moved or touched? But as time went on, and the days, weeks, and months just faded away, did you ignore it? 
what did God say to you even in this past week? Well, we can't go back in time, but I want you to know something. Life principle number one, God never wants anyone to miss what he's saying. He's speaking, friends, and he's talking to you. He's calling to you today. He's calling to me also. But he lets 12 months go. Have you heard people say this? You know, the God of the Old Testament seems so cruel and harsh, right? He seems so judgmental. So many people die. There's so many wars and people wiped out and destroyed. The God of the Old Testament seems so harsh. But here with Nebuchadnezzar, it says he gives him 12 months. Life principle number two. God not only doesn't want you to miss what he's gonna say, the Lord is so amazingly patient. Story is told that years ago, a guy was down in Florida standing on the beach. He was an atheist. And he was talking to a guy who believed in God. And he said, there's no God. And his buddy said, yes, there is. And the atheist put up his hand, looked at his watch and said, all right, if there's a God, I want him to strike me dead in one minute. One minute passed, nothing happened. And he said, see, there's no God. His buddy says to him, do you think you could exhaust the patience of God in 60 seconds? God is so patient. 12 months later. What happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life when he had the dream, when he heard from the prophet, when it faded to black, and for some reason time went on and maybe nothing changed and he thought, nothing's gonna happen. Friends, God is so patient. May I quickly just read to you Eight verses, not out of the New Testament, but out of the Old Testament. Eight verses, and let's treat it like a game show. You're an audience, and I'm gonna read these eight verses to you quickly, and you tell me if you think you can spot a theme in these verses. You ready? First one's in Numbers 14. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Nehemiah 9. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalm 86, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Joel 2, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Jonah 4, the prophet Jonah said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Nahum 1, the Lord is slow. Do you hear a theme? out of all the Old Testament verses. Last week when Pastor Tim was teaching out of Daniel chapter three, he shared the story of when Nebuchadnezzar set up the great statue and when the orchestra kicked in, everyone was to bow, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. So Nebuchadnezzar calls them on it and says, you've got like one minute to change your mind. And when they said, even if, and he threw him into the fire. And God, though, in a loud voice, proclaims to Nebuchadnezzar and gives him another year. 
Because life principle number one, again, the Lord never wants anyone to miss what he says. Life principle number two, God is amazingly patient. Life principle number three, the Lord will call for a time. The Lord will call for a time. Go with me to Daniel 4, verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Do you hear it? Uh Uh-oh. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You'll live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. And seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of the bird. There wasn't a salon or a spa that could cut his hair or trim his nails. And he ate like an ox. Wow. I found a website called earlychurchhistory.org earlychurchhistory.org. Let me read you quickly what they said about what was recorded centuries back about this event. They write several ancient writers, including Megasthenes, who lived 350 BC, and Abedinus, who lived 200 BC. They wrote about what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. The first Christian historian, Eusebius, over a thousand years later, wrote about Nebuchadnezzar's issue. And listen to this. In Babylonian records, there is no government activity recorded for a seven-year span from 582 to 575. And God said, seven years, I'll take you out. They go on to say, there's in modern medicine and psychology an illness named zoanthropy. Bear with me while I share some stats with you. Clinical zoanthropy is a rare delusion in which a person believes himself or herself to be an animal. Although extremely rare, 25% of the patients in these cases were diagnosed with schizophrenia, 23% with psychotic depression, and about 20% with bipolar disorder. The patients consisted of 34 men and 22 women whose symptoms lasted anywhere from a single hour to decades. And they go on to say zoanthropy can be divided into two classes. Boanthropy, thinking and acting like a cow or an ox, and lycanthropy, thinking and acting like a wolf. Quote, this writer believes from internal sources in the Bible and external sources in history that Nebuchadnezzar's strange behavior was boanthropy, thinking and acting like a cow or an ox, end quote. Is that crazy? This wild event happened. And when it says seven times or years, Was it actually seven? I seem to think so because seven is that perfect number in scripture of completion or fulfillment. But what's the main point? Is it turning into an animal? The maladies nor the years are the issue. The issue was Nebuchadnezzar's heart towards God. The issue is my heart towards God. The issue is your heart towards God. Because Nebuchadnezzar, although he heard God in a dream and he heard God in a prophet, what was his problem? He just wasn't yet ready to hear. Oh, he heard God, but he wasn't ready to hear God. You know what this is like. 
How many of you have kids? Can I see your hands? How many times have you told your kids something and they don't respond, so you say what? Didn't you hear? Yeah, you grew up in the same house I did, right? Oh, he heard God, but he wasn't ready to hear God. And why wasn't he ready to hear God? I'm gonna tell you the reason why sometimes I'm not ready to hear God. And it's a thing in my life called pride. Pride. And you say, well, what's pride? I like to phrase it this way. Pride is choosing my ways over God's ways. In other words, I don't need to listen to God. Frank Sinatra sang the classic song called, I did it, what? Yeah, some of you are old enough to know that, right? How about for you older folks, the group uh, Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way. But what's humility? The opposite of pride is God's ways over my ways. In other words, I deeply need to listen to God in his ways. Pride is a darkness of the human soul. Man, do I know it. Humility, though, is God's light shining in you. And I love how Pastor Tim titled this series, Shining in Babylon. Humility shines. Hey, if I were to question you quickly, what are today's greatest values? What do we hear are people saying our highest values today? Physical security, freedom, financial security, equality, love, my candidate getting into office, getting what I desperately want. Let me ask you this. In American culture, where would humility rank? How about inside you and me? How much do you think we need to see some humility in America? Humility in our homes, and our churches. You may say, well, that's great, Jim, but this story about a king and his big, huge kingdom, I'm not a king, I'm not a queen. Uh, yes, we are. God has given a life. And I just need to confess to you that I live in Jimmy Kingdom. That's where I live. It was best illustrated one day when Deanna and I, my wife, were in a department store. She is a chick, she was in the clothing section. I'm over in the electronics section. And I heard this thing called Dolby Surround Sound. It had just come out. And I run over to the clothing section. And I say, Deanna, you got to hear this. And I drag her to the electronics section. She stands there. I go, no, you've heard this. And I hit the button that said stereo. The music was just coming out of two speakers. I go, now watch this. And I hit the Dolby Surround Sound. And the music just engulfed us. And I go, is that the coolest? She goes, well, in Jimmy Kingdom... I go, that's me, Jimmy Kingdom, I love it. She stopped me, she goes, you realize you are the only resident of Jimmy Kingdom? I go, yes, but it's great to be king because I love what I get in my world. And folks, we all live in our own kingdom where we want our own way. And where did it start? Do a favor with me, jump back with me now to Genesis chapter three. Look at this story, many of you are familiar with it. In Genesis three, God has put Adam and Eve in the perfect garden and told them about his ways, but they sinned against the Lord. They chose their ways over God's ways. And now I wanna show you the pattern of God trying to speak to us in our pride. Verse eight, when Adam and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from among the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But Lord God called to the man, where are you? It's the first question ever asked to people in history. And I love it that God comes seeking Adam and Eve. God is still calling you and me today. Where are you? Have you ever noticed as you read through the Bible, God asks a lot of questions? 
Why does he ask questions? I think it's because he wants to see how we're going to answer. Let me pause there in Genesis 3 just for a moment. Some of you may be familiar with John chapter 4. Jesus met a woman at a watering spot at a well. And he's talking to her and he says this, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship or commune with the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Lord asks questions often of us to see if we're gonna answer in spirit and truth. And if we do, the pattern is he'll continue to speak to us. Watch. Genesis chapter three, let's go back to verse 10. God says, where are you? Adam says four things. One, I heard you in the garden, that's true. Two, I was afraid, that's right. Three, because I'm naked, that's right. Number four, so I hid. God answers, I'm sorry, Adam answers God in spirit and in truth. So the Lord's pattern is, I'll continue to converse with you. The Lord says in verse 11, two more questions. Who told you you're naked? Number one. And number two, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now how does Adam answer? He blows right past the first question, who told you you're naked? And that's an interesting question, is it? I think Adam should have said, the conscience you gave me did. But he goes from spirit and truth to blame and accusation. God, it's that woman you put here with me. Ooh. Not spirit and truth. So what happens? The pattern we see is God says to Adam, I'm gonna be silent right now and I'm gonna talk to Eve. So he turns to the woman and says, what's this you've done? How does the woman answer? Well, that serpent just deceived me. I'm a victim. So the Lord doesn't talk to Eve for a moment. He turns and curses the serpent and takes care of other business. Because here's life principle number four. Sometimes, The Lord is silent in our lives because we simply are not ready to hear. Oh, we hear, but we're really not ready to hear. I love being one of the pastors on the staff of this church and I was talking to some of the pastors in the earlier uh, service and thinking, you know, maybe you've experienced it. I've been in the restaurant or sitting across from somebody at a booth and they just start pouring out their heart what God is saying to them, what God's doing and I'm sitting there kind of going, why haven't I heard God speak to me in a while? And sometimes I think the Lord is saying, Jim, is there pride blocking the ability for you and me to commune? Sometimes the Lord is silent in our lives because we're not ready to hear. He doesn't want us to miss what he's gonna say, but sometimes God will be silent because he's calling us. The story is told years ago back east. Then in a certain community, they had a serial rapist and murderer that was going around commandeering women in their cars, driving them out to the country. He'd rape and murder them. And they felt like they had some vague description of him, but they weren't able to catch him. And one day in this town, a woman's at a stoplight when suddenly someone opened her passenger door, jumped in, with a, put a gun in her face and said, drive, go out to the country. And she drove out, she glanced at him a few times and all of a sudden in her mind, she started thinking, this is that guy. I'm his next victim. And she cried out to God, God, what do I do? And the Lord said, just tell him about me. Witness to him. So she drove, she said, I know who you are. I know what you're gonna do to me. 
But before we get to the country and you do it, you got to know something. There's a God who's real. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came and died on a cross to forgive sinners like you and me. And he rose from the dead to prove he had defeated sin. But you got to know there's a God and he knows what you're doing. And all of a sudden he yelled, pull over. She quickly pulled the car over. He said, open your door. She thought, this is it. He said to her, run. Wondering if she'd be shot in the back, she took off down the road, ran back into town, went to the police station, told the authorities what happened. They all got in their vehicles, drove out there. Her car was still at the side of the road with the guy still sitting in it. He gave up without a fight. They put him in jail, sent him to trial, convicted him of all the murders and rapes and sentenced him to be executed. Months later, the Holy Spirit says to the woman, go see him. She says, I don't want to go see him, Lord. He said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to go see him. Go see him. She says, it won't do any good, Lord. He said, I didn't ask you if you think it'll do any good. Go see him. So she looked up what penitentiary he was in and went to see him. And as she was sitting there, they brought him out all chained up. He sat down behind the glass. And when he saw her, he broke down and began to weep. He said, thank you for coming. I beg God to send you. Today's my birthday. And she looked at him and she said, why did you let me go? He said, I grew up in a rough home as a young boy. And I had a grandmother who raised me who loved God. And she used to try to tell me about God, but I wouldn't listen. And as you were talking to me about Jesus in that car, I heard a voice and it said out loud, this is the last time I will call you. And I knew I had to stop. And I know I'm gonna die and I deserve it. And I pray you'll forgive me but thank you for being a voice. She said, I never heard that voice. He said, I did. Sometimes the Lord is silent on our lives because we're simply not ready to hear. But when you and I are ready to hear and our spirit is broken and our heart is contrite, The Bible says the sacrifices of God's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you won't despise. Because the Lord will not and cannot resist someone who humbles themselves. And here's the good news. No matter what your age, background, education, or skill set, anyone can humble themselves. That's what God looks for. Life principle number five, God opposes the proud, but here's the great news. He gives what? Grace to the humble. You may say, that's a great verse out of the New Testament. Yep, that's in James 4, but guess where James got it from? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. It's from the Old Testament, the patient, loving God who is still calling out to people saying, humble yourself. Hey, before we wrap it up today, I just want to look back quickly at verse 20 in Daniel 4, verse 20 and verse 27, and look how Daniel shined out like a light in Babylon in humility. Because I don't know about you, but Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty wicked man, right? Pastor Tim described that very well uh, from him wanting to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. He was an evil, violent man. 
And Daniel could have looked at him when he got this pronouncement of this is what's going to happen to you, Neb. Daniel could have said, ha, I love it, you stinking politician. You're finally getting what you deserve. How many of you have at least one politician in your world you don't appreciate? But Daniel says, oh, majesty, if only this applied to your enemies and your adversaries. But then he says this, take my advice, humble yourself. And for a year he doesn't. So then God strikes him with this malady. How does it wrap up? Let's wrap it up right here, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that time, my sanity was restored. My honor and my splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and I became even greater. See, God isn't out there to crush us. God is out there to renew us and draw us. God so loved the world. He calls us to his son. And don't miss verse 37. I said in the first service, maybe verse 37 should be tattooed in our heads. And somebody said, I don't have a forehead that big. But look at it with me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. You may say, great, am I gonna have a nightmare tonight about a tree and then turn into an ox? No, but God still speaks today through his word. Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. And Jesus even said to the church in Revelation 3, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice, humbles themselves, opens the door and lets me in, I'll crush them. No, I will come in and live and eat with them, and they with me. Final questions. Oh, by the way, look at this, how Daniel handled himself. It's a great quote from John Dickerson. We're not here to attack or fight our neighbors when they disagree with us. We're here to be diplomats and to shine out like ambassadors. Raise your hand if you think we need just a little bit of humility in America. Raise your hand if you think we need a lot. Final questions. How are you doing in humility with Almighty God? Are you ready to hear him? Hey, spouse, how are you doing in humility towards your husband or your wife? Parents, how are you doing towards your kids? Students, how are you doing towards your parents? Or a classmate? Someone at work? A neighbor? You might ask, what's a powerful first step in humility? You know what you can do right now? You don't have to wait 12 months. Don't wait 12 months. Confess your pride to the Lord Jesus. I try to do it every day. I don't always do it, but I try every day to say something like this when I wake up. Lord, I'm a proud man. And I am. And Father, I'm a proud man. But I want to humble myself. Will you speak to me? 
Confess your pride. Secondly, open his word daily. Ask him to speak to you. He will. Hebrews 3 says this. The Holy Spirit says today, not 12 months from now, how many more days do you have? I know how many days I've lived, but I don't know how many more I have. Today, not in 12 months. Today, if you hear his voice, if God's tugging at your heart right now, saying, hey, I want you to turn to me. Turn to him. And say something like what little Samuel, before Samuel became the great prophet, the priest Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, say it with me, church. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're speaking today and that you are patient And you are still calling people today. And thank you that no matter how many times you called, you're still calling because we're still here. And friend, if you have wondered how you can trust God, you do it by this week and say, Lord, I'm proud, but I want to walk in humility. Speak to me and help us to shine out brightly in our Babylon. And Jesus, more people would turn to you. In your precious name, we all say, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to God speaking today. Go have a wonderful week. God bless.